It was sometime in 2010. I would say in the first quarter of 2010, the sky was overcast and gray that day that we went. This is Brigadier General Ann McDonald, who at the time was the Deputy Commanding General for Police Development for the NATO training mission in Afghanistan. She and a team were making a special trip one day. This just happened to be an opportunity to observe. And so a team was put together. It was really, really unique when you think about it. It was a female judge advocate general, a female doctor, a female, someone from mental health who might have been there, a female translator, and then myself. And we had gone into this prison that was quite newly built. It was quite nice. And then General McDonald and her team were invited to a specific area of the prison. And we had an opportunity to go through and see a room. These women had been incarcerated. The rooms were clean, very simple, kind of reminded me of the barracks. And they all had uniforms on, and the uniforms were gray, fitted uniforms that were consistent with uh, Afghan culture. Being the inquisitive person she was, General McDonald wanted to speak to the women. I asked, is it okay if we ask what they had done? What was their crime? And they said, yes, it's okay, and that they would, they would be willing to tell. So General McDonald went around the room, talking to each and every inmate. And it was, I had run away from home. I had run away from home. I killed someone. I ran away from home. I ran away from home. And we all just stopped in our tracks. And we recognized that this was the Afghan law. This was their way. But that the punishment for those crimes appeared to be equal. And as we left that prison that day, I looked at those other women, realizing how fortunate we were to wear the uniform of the United States Army, fortunate to be Americans. And I said, have I ever told you how proud I am to be an American? This was General McDonald's final role in the military after 30-plus years of service. Understanding the experience of women is something that's been close to her heart her entire career, which started when she was in the very first gender-integrated class at West Point Academy, and led to her breaking many glass ceilings as an aviator and officer. Today, General McDonald serves as the president of the Army Women's Foundation, an organization that recognizes and honors the service of all U.S. Army women from the past, present, and future. In today's episode, we honor General McDonald and chat with her about the foundation, her career, and some memorable moments from an incredible life in service. I'm Carrie Varu-Heikes, and this is Army Matters. Hello, everyone. I'm Lieutenant General Retired Leslie C. Smith, the 66th Army Inspector General, and now I'm the Vice President for Leadership and Education at AUSA. Welcome to Army Matters. 
Today we have my best battle buddy, my best friend. We slugged it out in the Pentagon so many days. Sergeant Major of the Army, Daniel Daly. Dan, how are you doing today, bro? Les, I'm doing great. As Les said, I'm the 15th SMA, Dan Daly, and we got another episode of Army Matters that I think our listeners are going to love. Wow. It's fitting for the month of March. It's Women's History Month, and we have an inspiring, an inspiring trailblazer that we're going to have a great conversation with today. I'm fired up. We had a great conversation about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Dan, what exactly did you do in Desert Shield, Desert Storm? What unit were you in? Do you remember? Yes, I was in the 1st Battalion, 15th Infantry Regiment, the Audie Murphy Company of the Audie Murphy Battalion of the 3rd Infantry Division. Rock of the Marne. Rock of the Marne. They were still in Germany then, right? I was in Germany. Stationed in Schweinfurt, Germany. Schweinfurt, Germany. Wow. What was your rank? I was a private. Oh, my gosh. You made me feel old right there, man. I was like a PV nothing. And I didn't even have anything on my collar. It was just straight What up we call private. you? Slick sleeve, right? I was uh, a private. That's what they called it. That was, but that was the nickname, though, right? Slick Sleeve? I don't know. I never heard that before. I was the RTO. Were you? This is an interesting story. Okay, so hold on. Sitting, you you got you to tell people what RTO means. What's that was the radio means? telephone operator, and I had yeah. this big radio on my back. And my whole job... Big radio. My whole job yeah. was to, to make sure that the platoon stayed in contact with the company. So we were out in the desert, just sitting out the desert waiting for the war to start. And every time I'd go towards my platoon sergeant, he would shoo me away. And the reason why is because he was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, he didn't want the radio next to him because it had a big whip antenna. Yep. Yeah. And every time I went near him, he'd say, go over there and get next to the lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> because in Vietnam, they used to target the RTO and the they lieutenants. They did. They did. You know, so you couldn't call an airstrike. So, yeah. So that was my uh, that was my indoctrination to the Army. I graduated base training, flew to Germany, signed into my unit, and they sent me to Desert Storm. Wow. So I was I was a young captain. I just got assigned to the 82nd Division Artillery. This is going to be in the book I write one day. We flew into... Um, KKMC? KKMC. That is King Kilidad Military City. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is early. This is August time frame. That's the first time I saw MLRS. You know, we had the Big Five and M the uh, multiple launch rocket system was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, it was two of them on the C-5 with about... 35, 40 paratroopers from Duvardi. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. What are we going to do if they decide to come south? So, so, so it was an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that just reminded me of we forget about the things that we do as young people and how it helps us develop us into who we are. That's why it's so powerful. The stuff that Ann talked about being a trailblazer, even though she didn't see herself as a trailblazer initially. Yeah, she was. I mean, and then it started with her story about being in the first class, yes. first female class of West Point. Now, she, she was very humble about it. Yeah. But if you remember, and yeah. I do clearly, yeah. the hype about this in the media and yeah. the pressure those ladies were under yeah. was, in, was intense. And they persevered, overcame, and everybody, you know, there were haters out there that said, oh, we can't do this, if you remember. Right. right? And, and, and I, I don't know what. That's, that's awesome. So everyone, this episode was recorded before the Foundations Awards, which were held on March 22nd this month. And less another note we need to let our listeners know is that our guest is in Abu Dhabi. And we talked about that during the, this. Yeah, Abu Dhabi. It's a wow. country, not in America. No, it's a city with, within it, what country? The UAE. Right. What does that stand for? Yeah, United Arab Emirates. There we go. That's right. 
You're right. It is a city. Did I say it was a country? You said it, it was a country, it, bro. It's a country. It's okay. okay. It's like Texas. It's a yeah, country. It's pretty big. That's yeah. right. <laughs> it's like Texas. But anyway, we hope you enjoy the show. I'm fired up. Let's bring her on. Our guest today is a woman who, for over 30 years, was a trailblazer in the United States Army. She's here to talk to us about her career, but also her work with the Army Women's Foundation. General Ann McDonald, welcome to the show. Terrific. It's my pleasure to be here with you two gentlemen. General McDonald, to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, as you said, I served in the military for 31 years. I was an Army aviator and have to say, you know, going through the military as an aviator was pretty sweet. Um, I am a West Point graduate, graduated in the first gender integrated class in 1980, and that was an experience uh, unto itself. But uh, had a great career, and when I uh, graduated, as I said, as when I retired from the military in 2011, uh, a couple years later, I was uh, offered an opportunity to serve as the president of the Army Women's Foundation, and wanting to give back, I was just delighted to assume that uh, that role. Okay, and we're going to talk about uh, more about the foundation later, but since it honors and celebrates trailblazing women, I'd like to focus on you first, because... Frankly, we both put you in that category. Let's talk about your West Point experience, Anne. Why did you decide to take part in that, that first class that allowed women to attend? Yes, I am an Army brat. My father and my parents were stationed at uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. And my senior year in high school, I was approached by the guidance counselor. And it's quite interesting because when I started my senior year, there was no opportunity even discussed about women going to the service academies. But in the fall of 1975, President Ford made the decision and signed into law that women could attend all the service academies. So there was, I would probably say, a little bit of a scramble to get uh, women to apply. And it was my guidance counselor who approached me. My initial answer was, no, thank you. And after prompts and asks, you know, it was just easy to say, all right, I'll apply. And then once I got into the application process and learned a little bit more about West Point, I knew that this was something that I did, in fact, want to do. That's so cool. So can you tell us about your biggest challenges that you encountered while you were there and how you overcame them? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I need to start by saying, you know, West Point is designed to be difficult and it's difficult for everyone. It, it's not a, this is a difficult for the women. This is difficult for the men. It's difficult and challenging for everyone. And that certainly is the case. So I, I think I probably could go in and describe my experience as being life changing uh, from all of those challenges. Uh, what were I think the just trying to be accepted, that that whole notion of, yes, I was a cadet, I was there at the academy, but not everyone, not all the cadets, not all the administration really bought into the idea that women were there to stay. Right. West Point challenged us every moment, you know, from the moment we woke up and heard Reveille in the morning until the wonderful sound of I would actually say the relief of taps at nighttime. And for me, the physical component was very, very difficult. I did not come in as prepared as I should have. If I knew what I knew once I had gotten to West Point, 
I absolutely would have changed my course uh, in preparation uh, differently, but it was what it was. And so I just needed to work within the system and push myself to the uttermost limits, which which I did. And from that, from that, learned resilience and learned about myself and what I could take and what I could do and how I could push myself, how I could be a, a good teammate, how I could be a good squad mate with other people. Right. That's good. So since this was the first class, you and some of your other female classmates were constantly being pulled away for interviews. How did that affect your time there? It was extremely distracting. And we realized it also created a uh, an environment where the men who were not called away for interviews became, um, I'm, I'm not sure jealous is the right word, but we were being treated differently. And that's not something that you want to see. And as you pointed out, we're being pulled out of training. We're missing very important training. And West Point plans every single day, every single moment is planned. And there's not a lot of opportunity to redo training. You don't want to miss training. And, and after a while, we, we realized we would decline to do the interviews. Interesting. And in those four years, when did you most feel that West Point was really the place for you? I was uh, had the opportunity to go some to uh, something called Teenagers Encounter Christ, and it was a tech retreat. It was off the uh, West Point Reservation, but it was a weekend where we had a chance to just be ourselves, talk with other people, like-minded people, talk about our values, talk about who we were, what was on our hearts. And it was just uplifting beyond anything I can describe. It was, it really was a major turning point for me at the Academy. Okay, and the turning point, how so? My mother died when I was a yearling. So yearlings the second year. And it was such a shock. She had had cancer. It, her, her death was very, very rapid. And to be so far away and not be able to go back when you know the situation's deteriorating was very, very difficult. And at the same time, I'm trying to be the best cadet that I possibly can. I am trying to be strong. I am trying to make sure that I don't appear to get over and use the situation to curry favor, that I am resilient and all the things that West Point trained us or was training us to be, I knew this was my test. And so to have this moment as a, and to go with a group of other cadets who were open and loving and accepting and trusting was exactly that cathartic time and moment that I needed. And not to put words in your mouth, you're saying that that solidified you were in the right place to do the mission at where you were. It solidified that I, I knew that I was doing the right thing and I was at the right place at the right time with the right people and in the right organization. I knew that West Point was for me. I knew that, that service to the nation was for me. So uh, how do you think now since... 
you know, you were the first class that education at West Point has changed since your time there. It was 47 years ago and absolutely no question there have been changes uh, throughout the years and, and there are changes for the good. And I remember some of my classmates would say, oh, wow, did you see this? Did you, you know, can you believe they've done this? And in my heart, I said, I'm glad. That's good. You know, I've seen a number of uh, women first captains throughout the years, um, you know, great opportunities, women who have excelled in sports, women road scholars. It's just tremendous. So West Point is absolutely on track. It's a tremendous institution. Our army can be proud. Our military can be proud. Our nation can be proud. General McDonald, from there, you went on to have a 30-year career, including becoming the first woman to lead an army combat brigade. And I'm sure there are many times where people push back because you were a woman. Are there any lessons you learned along the way? Well, I I guess I'll go back to, I'm, I haven't even gone forward, but I will tell a story about when I was a an advanced individual training company commander. And in this particular, I had a cadre of drill sergeants who were just absolutely fabulous. And they had been in the dining facility. And one of my peers, one of my company commanders was, uh, I'll just say, talking smack. And the next thing I know, these drill sergeants came into my office and I looked up and they went on to tell me that one of my company commanders was saying something about me in the dining facility. And of course, my initial reaction was, I've been through much worse you know, okay, thanks, I appreciate that. And I suppose that that was a very much a defensive mechanism for myself to say, you know, hey, no problem, I've been through much worse. But when they got up and they said, well, we just want you to know we have your back. And then they departed. And in that moment, I realized this has nothing to do with the comment or my peer. It has to do with those five drill sergeants who had pledged their loyalty to me. And I was like, wait a minute, get back in here. And I, it really reinforced loyalty being a two-way street, up the chain and down the chain. And I have never, ever forgotten that. I've never forgotten that lesson I learned, but more importantly, that cadre who was there together to make sure that we trained the best. They were 67 Victor aircraft mechanics. And, you know, I knew that we were, we were going to be the team that was going to be unbeatable, and we were. Ma'am, that is an incredible story. You know, when I was a Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, we made the decision to open up Ranger School to women. And I'll tell you, I got a lot of comments from some of the older folks. But the reality is there's women out there that can do it. And it was just a matter of time before they proved it. And they blazed the way for future women to be able to do the same incredible things. Is there a moment in your career that stands out the most to you? I have to say there are many. And I've been very, very fortunate. I, I enjoyed a fabulous career. And one particular highlight that stands out was my assignment to Germany. This was back in the late, late 80s. And I was assigned to the 4th Brigade, 1st Armored Division. And our mission was to provide defense along the West German, East German border. And uh, about this time, there was the political 
discussions about the wall coming down. And uh, it was after November or December of 1989. My sister and her family were stationed in Berlin and my husband and I went and visited her. And she had said, hey, listen, they're going to be tearing down a part of the wall tonight. I, I think it might've been the Brandenburg Gate. You know, let's go. And so we... She outfitted us to make sure we were warm and we went to the wall. And, and what we're talking about, it was like an opening in the wall. So you could still see the concrete on either side, but it was an opening in the wall. It was nighttime. There were the portable tower lights. There was the hum of generators and um, jackhammers or something in the background. And on the West German side were the West German guards. And on the East German side were the East German guards. And they were kind of holding everybody back, but kind of walking back and forth. And we were all looking very much wide-eyed to see this incredible piece of history take place right before our very eyes. The fall of the, the Berlin Wall, you know, basically signifying the end of the Cold War. When all of a sudden an East German guard he reaches down and he picks up a piece of wall and he hands it to me. Wow. And I just... General McDonald, please tell me that you still have that piece of that wall. Absolutely. But I, he had no idea that I was an American soldier. But the, the meaning of having this piece of wall in my hand meant so much to me. And I just grasped it and tucked it in my pocket as quickly as I possibly could. That was just one of those pinch me moments that I have never forgotten. Yeah, that, that's great, Ann. I, I, uh, I went to East Germany while I was still up and I've been back since the wall has been down and it still gives me that chill. So I could just imagine what that felt like. I, I would posit that he may have known that you were army. You probably had that look. <laughs> you know you can always pick a soldier out of a crowd. Yeah, I might have been standing at attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> or parade rest. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. Now, we've had several guests on our show that have talked about the importance of mentorship. Ma'am, is there someone throughout your career who you would consider your greatest mentor? Wow, there have been so many. And, and one of them was, um, at the time, Colonel Dan Petrosky, now Lieutenant General Retired Dan Petrosky. Uh, boy, he was a great leader. We had just gotten into, um, it was during Desert Storm, we had just arrived into the, um, gosh, the, I can't even remember what it's called. It was called the Dewdrop Inn is what we called it. But it was the staging, the staging area. And the conditions were horrendous, just absolutely terrible. The, the, the porta-potties had overflowed. The, the, the showers were freezing cold. The conditions were terrible. And, you know, as a, as a young officer and I'm, you know, looking at him, you know, he's telling the entire staff, these are the things we need to do because we need to get out into the desert. We need to get into our assembly area as quickly as we possibly can. And I just looked at him and I thought, oh my gosh, if the conditions are like this here, what in the world is it going to be like out in the big, wide open desert? But when we got there, he was right. 
And I thought, gosh, how did he know? And it was his experience from Vietnam, his measured counsel, his just, it's going to be okay. And just all you have to do is you've got to coordinate for these types of things. We can bring it in. And when we're with, you know, when we're in our own organization, when we're in our own brigade with, with our battalions, everything will be okay. And he was right. He was right. Oh, I remember sitting in the desert as a private, and all I had was a rucksack and a rifle. I mean, that's it. That's all I had. We all had those stories of, of eating uh, uh, the MREs that, that were not as great as what they are now. And then uh, in the 82nd, we for somehow we got hold of uh, a, can't remember the name of it. It was a place, and it was like hamburgers. And I would think, how did they... How did the they wolf, deliver the hamburgers? Wolf, wolf burgers in desert. It, no, they was yeah. before wolf burgers. Uh, uh, before wolf burgers. Yeah, it was. It was something else. Oh. This was. This is early on, and they got it from some some organization uh, that that uh, that came out there. But that's when I started learning enterprise because stuff was everywhere. It would show up if you needed it. Ah, wolf burgers. They used to bring them out to the desert to us when we were sitting out there in Desert Storm. Now let's talk about the foundation. It's an incredible organization and a very important one. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what it does? Well, we do a number of things. And so our motto or our tagline is honor, empower, and connect. And we honor through our Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. We empower through our scholarship and uh, scholarship awards. Also, we partnered with the Female Mentoring and Morale Program. So we've got to we link up with them for mentoring. And we connect through our programs. We connect when we have our, a, our professional development at the Association of the United States Army, where we meet every uh, fall at the annual meeting and have an opportunity to share and discuss things and to learn uh, from each other. And I'm pleased to announce that our, you know, every year we celebrate Women's History Month by hosting our annual scholarship awards and Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And this year we will present 22 scholarship awards in, and we will also induct six women into our Hall of Fame and two um, other individuals into uh, who will receive our Champions Award. So we are super excited. It is a tremendous lineup. And can you tell us a little bit more about the recipients this year? Okay, they're all extraordinary. So um, I would like to tell about the Honorable M. Tia Johnson. And she was the first African-American Judge Advocate General to be promoted to Colonel. And since that time, she worked with the Department of Homeland Defense. And this past year, she was selected to be a judge for the United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. She will serve a 15-year term in that prestigious position. So we are delighted in all that she has done being a role model being a trailblazer, taking those hard jobs and excelling in them, and then continuing to serve her country post-military as a judge on this uh, court. Man, that's incredible. And I actually have a personal connection to this because my mother-in-law was in the Women's Army Corps. And I remember looking at pictures of her in her whack outfit. I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to say that, but that's what she called it. So can you tell us how it evolved into the foundation today and What's your favorite part about being involved in the foundation? 
Okay, that is so terrific because, you know, if you really think about the foundation has existed for over 53 years. Back in 1969, a group of women who had who were at Fort McClellan, Alabama, realized if they did not document their history and they did not put it down either in a museum and preserve it, it would be lost to the ages. And so they put together their time, effort and treasure and collected artifacts, letters, uh, pieces of memorabilia and created a museum. And then over time it was built into a proper structure and the United States Army took it over. Then about 2000 or so, that museum moved up to Fort Lee, Virginia, soon to be Fort Greg Adams on the 27th of April. And it was redesignated from the United States Army Women's Army Corps Museum to become the United States Army Women's Museum. Uh, You asked me, what's my favorite part? My favorite part is knowing that we stand on the shoulders of those incredible women who served in the Women's Army Corps and realized that uh, if if we don't write it down, it will it will not be remembered. And so it will be remembered. Yeah, and that's awesome. So I went to my officer basic course and advanced course at Fort McClellan, Alabama, and I remember touring the Army Women's Museum. It was mandatory, and it was so cool to see it. I learned a lot. Now, okay, so you're living in Abu Dhabi with your husband, who was also an Army officer, an aviator too, right? Can you talk about some of the challenges about being a military couple? So we met when we were captains, and um, you know, I got to say, I had a, I had a boss who did the matchmaking up for that, and and it, it and it worked. Um, it, I'll tell you, we always talk about in the military that, you know, you've got to have a support system. You, you know, your support system is maybe your squad. And, you know, you've got that trust and, and, and your support system is your family. And our families are so incredibly important. And to have a, a, a service member who's also your family member, it can present challenges. Sometimes it's, you know, it's wonderful because he totally understood what I was going through. And yet sometimes he would point out things where I was was not being all I could be. And so, you know, to have that mirror shown in your face, whoa, you know, sometimes it wasn't what I wanted to hear, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. Uh, So that's one aspect. But I do have to say, it's a different dynamic. We were both stationed together in Afghanistan. And, you know, I could hear some of the comments, oh, you're so lucky your spouse gets to be here. Now, he, he was in a completely different location as the crow flies, not far, but, you know, because of the, the security of the situation, it might as well have been 50, you know, miles away. But, um, you know, you, yes, it was convenient, nice to have him close by. But I have to tell you, I'm not sure there were other service members who had to worry about the safety of their spouse. And so that, you know, that was something that was always in the back of my mind. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, you know, is everything okay? We're running out of time, man. So I have to ask one final question. What do you miss about the States while you're living in Abu Dhabi? (laughs) Sweet relish, sweet pickle relish. Wow. Sweet. Out of all the things, Anne, out of all the things, American. Well, so what we try to do is that there is a small little um, PX that's on one of the military installations. And when John ever has to go there, he'll come back with, you know, those plastic 
containers of the sweet pickle relish, but yes. Hmm, the simple things in life. Well, Anne, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing your powerful story. We said it at the beginning and I'll say it again. You're a trailblazer and an inspiration to us all. You really should write a book about it. I'll be the first to read it. Thanks for chatting with us today on Army Matters. Thank you. I'm not sure if Sweet Relish was available, but for today's chapter spotlight, on February 7th, AUSA's George Washington chapter held its quarterly luncheon and professional development forum for its members. Approximately 140 people attended and listened to Army leaders, Mr. Mark Kitts and Mr. Leo Garcia, speak about secure software development and data analytics, which led to a lively discussion. An award was presented to Colonel Retired Molly Pearson for her service to AUSA soldiers and families. And a grant was also presented to support the Joint Base Meyer-Henderson Hall's food insecurity programs. Congratulations to everyone at GWC. And if you or your chapter would like to be profiled on the show, please email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Hua. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith and SMA Retired Dan Daly, an anchor hosted by Carrie Barrow Heckes. Anthony Del Call is the producer and writer, and Andy Bosnack is the supervising sound editor. Unzinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow Heckes and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Lauren Hall and Terry Perriman for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. AUSA's Army Matters podcast, primary purpose is to entertain. The podcast does not constitute advice or services. While guests are invited to listen, listeners, please note that you're not being provided professional advice from the podcast or the guest. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of AUSA. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm with Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.